0: Good morning, everyone. Um, it's good to be with you here this morning. Um, sorry, got to get all the tech working right. Okay, is that going to stay there for me? Okay. Um, hmm, Bible and the Friar. Last year, in 2022, Merriam Webster, the dictionary, added 370 words to the dictionary. 370 new words to the dictionary. Now, is this going to work, or do I need to turn it on somehow, the clicker thingy? So much technology these days. Sorry, we used to just get up and talk. This is the oh, thing okay, right there. thank you. <laughs> there you go. All right, so now we can click away. Yes. Um, maybe you've heard, are you familiar with shrinkflation? This is a new word that was added to the dictionary. It will it will make you mad when you learn what it is. It's, you know, inflation raises the prices. Shrinkflation keeps the price the same but makes the package smaller. So you still pay more. <laughs> but it doesn't look like it's a deceptive. Um, space force is a new word in the Bible. I mean in the Bible. <laughs> in the dictionary. We'll get to the Bible. Um, yeah, so now we don't just have the air force. We don't just fight... On the land, we don't just fight in the air. Now we can fight in space, too. Adorkable. Adorkable is a word, you guys. It means socially awkward or quirky in a way that's endearing. Aw, he's so adorkable. The metaverse made it into the dictionary. The metaverse, something we can't see or prove and don't know exists, but it's in the dictionary now. It's a word. And guess what? Oat milk. Oat milk made it to the dictionary. (laughs) It's a real thing now. Um, Also, some um, abbreviations, some slang abbreviations that I have teenagers, so I hear these all the time. Um, Sus is one of them. I don't know if you hear people say sus, like suspicious or suspect. That's just real sus. Well, it's finally in the dictionary. It says yeet, yeet it out the window, yeet that, don't yeet that at me. That's to throw something or toss something. And here's one spawn con. Now, I had to really think about this one. Um, I think what they did is put sp- um, sponsor content together. Because what it is, is on social media, when it looks just looks like someone's content, but it's actually sponsored, and they're actually being paid to promote something to you. Spawn con. Um, with the uh, rise of texting, we now have, um, abbrevi- not abbreviations, but... I can't think of the word. What's that word when it's just letters? Acronyms. Acronyms. Thank you. Now we have acronyms. Do you know these acronyms? Do you use these in your texting? By the way, um, not lots of love, as we thought when this first came out, but laugh out loud. Um, What's G-A-S? I forgot. Got a second? Chat with you later. Talk to you later. Never mind. Before I forget, I don't know. Um, I hear that from my... 16-year-old son all the time. IDK. IDK, mom. IDK. Um, Let me know. Gotta go. Bye. Um, Rolling on the floor laughing. And look at SMH. That's my initials. My initials made it into (laughs) texting. It stands for shaking my head. Shaking my head. (laughs) And... TLDR. Now that we speak in little bites and little acronyms and we barely even, we don't even spell out the words that we're saying, we we still have to say TLDR. Too long, didn't read. SMH, sorry guys. SMH, shaking my head. I can't believe that when we're just speaking in acronyms, we consider that too long and didn't read it. But a couple of acronyms made it into the dictionary. I see you out. YMI is in case you missed it. And the other one is for what it's worth. And these actually made it into the dictionary. New words added to our language officially in the dictionary. This happens every year. But I think it's funny that now the acronyms are getting in, in too. Today, I want to share with you a word that was added to the English language a few hundred years ago. But in order to really tell you about this word, I need to give you some historical context. I need to give you a backstory. And in order to tell you about this word, I need to tell you about Miles Coverdale and the word that he invented and why he invented it. So Miles Coverdale was an Augustinian friar in England in the 16th century. That's the 1500s. So in 1514, he went from friar to priest. So he got a promotion, he moved up, he became a priest. And notice 1514, that's three years before Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the the door and started the Protestant Reformation started the blaze of this Protestant Reformation. The seeds were already there, but he, so he lived right on the cusp. He was a priest right on the cusp of the Reformation. His prior, who was above him, Robert Barnes, was an early Lutheran. He bought into Luther's new theology and new ideas and Bible study, and so he was influenced by Robert Barnes, his prior, who was incidentally later executed for his beliefs. So he was a priest when king, king Henry VIII was king. So that should go ba-ba-bum in your mind. If you know anything about Henry VIII, you know what kind of king he was and what turmoil that time period was. In 1525, um, a few years later, William Tyndale translated and printed The New Testament. So this was the first Bible to be printed in English, printed on a press in English. We already had Wycliffe's Bible from the 1300s, but this one was printed on a press. It was um, Tyndale's New Testament, and in uh, three years later, our friend Miles Coverdale went to Belgium. He fled England because of the persecution, because of the assaults against those who were buying into Luther's heresy. And he was being influenced that way uh, by Luther's teaching. So he fled England and went to Belgium, and there in Belgium, he got to know Tyndale. So he started assisting Tyndale in translating other portions of the Bible. Now, the Catholic Church did not approve of Tyndale's Bible. Tyndale had uh, changed some words or he had used some other words than they were used to in his translation of the Bible and the Catholic Church felt that his words were biased toward Protestantism because that is that is how he believed. So he's, he used overseer instead of bishop. He didn't use the word bishop, priest, or church. Instead, he said overseer, elder, and congregation and they didn't like those those changes. And he he also... Um, made up some new words or used some new words that hadn't been used in uh, Bible language before. He came up with the word Passover, showbread, atonement, mercy seat, scapegoat, Um, from what I read, even Jehovah, These are words that came from Tyndale. And Tyndale's strong opinions filled his Bible. He had notes in the margin. He had introductions to the books of the Bible. And his um, Lutheran, um, Protestant ideas were just boldly on the pages of this Bible. So so the uh, Catholic Church charged him with an inaccurate translation. And Sir Thomas More, who you may have heard of, he was Lord Chancellor and Chief Minister for Henry VIII. He said... Think about what this would have felt like. He said, looking for errors in Tyndale's Bible is like looking for water in the sea. <laughs> so they didn't like it. Tyndale was not on good terms with the Catholic Church at that point. And in 1530, Tyndale also made the mistake mistake of opposing King Henry's desire to annul his marriage. You remember that whole story with King Henry VIII? Um, so he wanted to annul his first marriage, And um, Tyndale opposed that idea, felt it was unbiblical, and he couldn't do that. And so King Henry VIII um, banned Tyndale's Bible. It was banned. In 1534, Parliament passed the Act of Supremacy. And this was King Henry VIII's bold move to separate from the Catholic Church simply because he did not want a pope telling him what to do. He wanted to be able to divorce his wife. So he created the Church of England and made himself the head of it instead of the Pope. Um, That same year, a merchant commissioned Miles Coverdale, our friend, to translate the entire Bible. Into English. Tyndale's Bible had been incomplete. He had translated the New Testament and portions of the Old Testament, and they had banned it anyway. They didn't like his beliefs. So they chose Miles Coverdale to translate the entire Bible into English. And in 1535, he completed his Bible. That same year, Tyndale was put in prison. Thomas More, who didn't like Tyndale's Bible, was executed. And about this time, he moved back to England. The next year, his friend Tyndale was executed for his heresy. So you can imagine what it was like to live in these times, to be imprisoned, to be executed just for what you believed, just for what you thought. Um, His friend Tyndale was executed for his heresies. He had denounced uh, prayer to the saints. He felt that people should only pray to god. He opposed the idea that only authorized clergy could interpret the scriptures and he denied the real presence of Jesus in the mass and that was a huge blasphemy for the catholic church. He believed that communion was symbolic and for this he was executed. King that same year, King Henry VIII read Coverdale, Coverdale's Bible and decided to give him permission to publish. He wanted this to be the English Bible. Thomas Cromwell had taken the place of Thomas More as chief minister, and he commissioned Miles to work on a new, more accurate translation. So take the Bible you've translated, uh, revise it a little bit, and we'll make that the official English Bible. Print it. It'll be official. Um, In 1538, King Henry made it compulsory for churches to own a Bible. Doesn't that, isn't that funny? Wouldn't you expect every church would have a Bible? Today, everyone in church has a Bible. But King Henry VIII made a law that every church was required to have a Bible, and he was going to provide it through Miles Coverdale. So you can see King Henry VIII didn't really move very far from the beliefs of the Catholic Church. He simply didn't want the authority of the Catholic Church. He didn't want the Pope telling him what to do. But he did love the Bible, and he did want the Bible in the churches. And so Miles Coverdale, in 1539, published his translation, and it was called The Great Bible because it was big, (laughs) because of its size. It was called The Great Bible, and this became the first authorized Bible. You've heard of the King James Bible as an authorized Bible because the king authorized it. But this one came before. This one was authorized by King Henry VIII. It was authorized to be the one that could be read aloud in church services in the Church of England. And so it was also called the King's Bible. It was called the Cromwell Bible. It was called the Chained Bible because they chained it to the desks and lecterns in the churches so no one would run off with it, even though it was very, very big. Um, But the next year, Thomas Cromwell was executed, the one who had commissioned him to do this Bible. He had kind of been someone who had provided protection for Coverdale. And so in 1540, Miles Coverdale got married and fled again to Strasbourg to avoid Henry VIII's penchant for executions. During this time away from England, he learned Hebrew, and in 1547, seven years later, King Henry VIII died, and he felt free to return to England. In England, he became bishop, bishop of Exeter, but he didn't have very long to be bishop. In 1553... Henry VIII had died, there was a big mess after he died about who would follow him, and eventually, a couple years later, his firstborn daughter, Mary I, ascended the throne, but we also know her as Bloody Mary. She only reigned for five years, but during that five-year reign, she executed over 280 of her subjects for their beliefs and their adherence to Protestant ideas, to Luther's teachings, Coverdale was placed under house arrest for holding the views of the reformers and stripped of his position that year. Now, all around him, people were being executed. All around him, his friends were being executed. But Coverdale seems to have stayed under the radar. And from what I've read, a lot of that had to do with the fact that of the people that he knew, he knew some powerful people. And one powerful person he knew was his brother-in-law, who happened to be the chaplain to the king of Denmark, so the king of of Denmark got involved talking to Queen Mary and pled for Coverdale to be able to move to Copenhagen. And he was able to flee for the third time, fled his country because of his beliefs. And during that time, or he likely would have been executed by Mary if he had stayed. During that time, he moved to Geneva and made friends with John Calvin and John Knox and helped them with more Bible translation on the Geneva Bible. In 1558, Mary died, and her Protestant sister, Elizabeth I, took the throne. So it felt like a safe place to be in England again, so he felt free to return to England, and Miles Coverdale was never executed for his faith. He died in 1569. Here's a picture of the Great Bible, the the introductory page on the Great Bible, and I'm not sure how this turned out. Let's see. Oh, You kind of see the Old English at the top. Um, it says, The Bible in English, that is to say the content of all the Holy Scripture, both of the Old and New Testament, truly translated after the verity of the Hebrew and Greek texts by the diligent study of diverse, excellent, learned men, expert in the foresaid tongues. Today we would have said, too long, didn't read. <laughs> but that was one sentence in those days. Um, Yeah, gotta love Old English. So Miles Coverdale was someone who loved the Bible. He loved the truth of God in the Bible. He gave us the first printed English translation of the entire Bible, and he he dedicated his life to making the Bible available at great risk to himself. So this was a man who loved the truth of the Bible, And um, you're going to see how much he loved it as we talk about this one word. All this to tell you that Miles Coverdale, when he was translating the Bible, he encountered this Hebrew word, chesed, or chesed. This is a word that I have seen books written about. People have written theses about this word. I've seen panel discussions of Hebrew scholars discussing this word, this Hebrew word. The word hesed occurs in the Old Testament as an attribute of God. It's a descriptive word of God, and it appears 130 times describing what God is like. It's been called the defining characteristic of God. You need to know this word. I need to know this word and Miles Coverdale he desperately wanted to get this word right. But there is no equivalent word in the English language for hased. I've many people have tried to explain this word and I'm going to share with you what I have found how people have explained this defining characteristic of what God is like. Faithful love in action. God's love and kindness expressed in his covenant relationship with Israel. Some people call it covenant love. Persistent and unconditional, tenderness, kindness, mercy, and love. Persistent and unconditional. God's loyalty to his covenant, his love for his people, and his faithfulness to keep his promises. All in one word, chesed strong, steadfast love. Some, one, one scholar uh, that I listened to said it meant magnanimous, or going above and beyond in showing generosity and forgiveness. Some feel the best word to describe chesed is devotion, devoted, combining the warmth of God's love with the security of his faithfulness, deeds of mercy performed by a more powerful party for the benefit of a weaker one. Isn't that a cool description of God? Devoted love promised within a covenant. And some have said the best picture of hesed is the marriage relationship because it's a covenant, it's a promise, it's not based on feeling, it's it's something you can count on, something that stays faithful, Love that's willing to commit itself to another by making its promise a matter of solemn record. That's our God. Hesed is something that is done, not merely thought or felt. God's covenant love. I almost, it almost seems like Hesed is kind of almost like the Hebrew equivalent of agape. Not that they mean exactly the same thing, but you know, I've always heard of the word agape in Greek. That that that's the highest form of love. That that's unconditional love. The kind of divine love. That there are other words for love that you and I can relate to, but agape. Ooh, that's higher than the kind of love that that we can can muster for each other, but God is up there at agape love. That's kind of where hesed is. Hesed is that kind of higher, divine, devoted, trustworthy love that never, never ends um, and isn't dependent on anything but a covenant, a promise, something that you will stick with no matter what. Exalted love. And over the centuries in different Bible translations, Chesed has had multiple translations. People have translated it. And you see in your Bible, if it says steadfast love, unfailing love, mercy, devotion, faithfulness, trustworthiness, kindness, loyalty. This is all chesed. And people have tried to put it, have given it different words and different translations. Because there's no English equivalent for this word. Chesed. And so different translations will have mercy all the, more often than not for that word, or steadfast love more often than not for chesed. But Miles Coverdale wasn't satisfied with the words that already existed in English for this word. He couldn't find an English word adequate to translate the Hebrew word chesed, so he made one up. He made one up. A word that had never existed before, he made it up and he put it in the Bible. And you and I are very familiar with this word, but we never knew that this was chesed, that this word was this loaded, loaded word of God's covenant love. The word he came up with was this. This is Old English. The King James put these two words together and came up with loving kindness. Loving Kindness. Is hesed. Now, this was very gutsy of him to do. His friend Tyndale had already been executed for coming up with new words and for putting his um, Protestant bias or whatever into the pages of scripture, into his translation, because he believed it was the most accurate translation of the Bible. He had been imprisoned and executed, but it was worth it for Miles to take the risk because hesed was worth telling people about. Hesed is an almost untranslatable word. It's so rich, Miles Coverdale had to add to the English language to express it. And don't let this get past you. There was no word in English to describe the depth and devotion of God. There was no word to describe God, it required a whole new word. And the word loving kindness did not exist until someone had to describe God. Isn't that something better than BWT or whatever those acronyms are? the inspired revelation of who God is changed the English language. Because hesed tells us that the depth of God's love for you is indescribable. He's more committed to you than you are to him. Hesed says he's more devoted to you than you are to him. Hesed says that you are, God is more faithful to you than you are to him. God's hesed is coupled with the phrase endures forever or is everlasting at least 46 times in the Bible. Chesed is all over the Bible. Psalm 104, for your chesed, your loving kindness is great above the heavens. But with everlasting chesed, with everlasting loving kindness, I have had compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Now return to the Lord, your God. For, I, for he is abounding in chesed, abounding in loving kindness, abounding in this devoted, devoted love to you. I was reading in a book called The Desire of Ages, which is a book about the life of Christ. And I found a little description of chesed love. It says, might not be what you're expecting. It says, the Lord is disappointed when his people place a low estimate upon themselves. Find that common in Christianity. Oh, what a wretch I am. Oh, what trash you are that God would actually love you. But that's really not the story that the Bible tells. God is disappointed when his people place a low estimate upon themselves. He desires his chosen heritage to value themselves according to the price he has placed on them. God wanted them, else he would not have sent his son on such a an expensive errand to redeem them. That is chesed love, active, committed love, love that would go on an expensive errand to redeem people who maybe even weren't even interested in the covenant at that moment. I'd like to share with you a meditation on the communion service, just some thoughts that really express God's Chesed love, too. I looked at the Son of God suffering in the garden, sweating blood from the pressure of the approaching cross where he would bear my sin. I watched him take abuse after abuse, scorn, ridicule, thorns, a clawed whip. I saw God himself tortured, nailed to a cross, bleeding from multiple wounds, struggling to breathe, fighting my battle, dying my death. And I felt so unworthy of the lengths he went to for me. I was offered the bread that symbolized his body broken for me. I was offered the cup, picturing the blood he poured out on my behalf. I'm not worthy, my heart cried. I'm not worthy of this holy broken body and this sacred spilled blood. I knew I could try and try, but I could never muster enough of my own righteousness to justify his agony. I was painfully aware that even my righteous acts and good deeds had selfishness and sinfulness woven through them like a tapestry. I knew no matter how many people I had loved, there were also people I had hated. No matter how many times I had dealt gently and patiently with people, I had also snapped in irritation and bruised tender souls, and I was intimately acquainted with other darker parts of my soul no one else could see. I was not worthy of the sacrifice of the Son of God, but it was not my worthiness he was looking for. From the cross, Jesus cried back to me, No, you're not worthy. You don't have to keep trying to be worthy. I didn't do this because you're worthy. I did this because you're worth it. That is chesed love. Generous, unconditional, faithful, merciful, the stronger, upholding the weaker, absolute devotion, the kind of love you've been longing for. Chesed love is described in different ways all over the Bible. Behold, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. That was spoken before Jesus ever went to the cross, but how much more powerful that became once Jesus had wounds in his hands that had your name on it, that had my name on it. I have called you by your name. You are mine. You are precious in my sight, and I have loved you. I have loved you. Hesed is even part of his name. When Moses asked the Lord to show him his glory, and the Lord said, I will. will, I'll hide you because you can't take it all. But I will show you my glory, and I will proclaim my name to you. This is how God proclaimed his name. This is how he described himself. Jehovah, Jehovah Elohim, Compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and chesed and truth. Who keeps chesed, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression and sin. So my question to you today is, have you believed this? What's telling you you're worth loving? Have you tried to fill your love needs with other things? Success, money, academic degrees, music, entertainment, promiscuity, pornography, popularity, prosperity, drugs, alcohol, shopping, food, a new car, clubbing, glamorous clothes, serial dating people's approval? What are the ways that you have tried to convince yourself that you are worth loving, that you have value, Will you stand before the one who loves you most and lay down your hurts, your struggles, your insecurities, your idols, your need for significance, your need to be loved? Here's the question. Can his chesed love be enough? Will you let his love fill your soul and give you a solid foundation to stand on? My wish for you, my wish for me is expressed in Ephesians chapter 3. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Miles Coverdale tried to give us a word to help us understand better. Loving kindness. Today, maybe we would call it loving kindness plus, because God's love is loving and kind, but it's so much more. It's tender plus, plus devoted, plus magnanimous, plus faithful, plus secure, plus committed, plus active, plus steadfast. I hope that you will immerse yourself in it, because of that, my friends, is chesed love pray with me. Father in heaven, you are so much greater than we can imagine. Thank you for just a few moments, Lord, just to meditate, just to think, just to immerse ourselves in the idea of how great your love is, how committed you are to us, that you are hesed to us, Lord. We barely grasp it. So I pray, Lord, that today as we go about our day and as we go about our week and I just pray that you would open our eyes, that you would open our hearts to really grasp how much you love us, how much you have done to show us that. And, Lord, I just pray that that would be our starting point, that that would be enough, that you would be where we find our security. You would be our solid foundation. You would be the answers to our questions. You would be the healing for our hearts. Lord, thank you so much for being such a wonderful God and pouring out so much self-giving, unconditional love. Lord, we just want to be changed by it. We want to be ignited by it. So, Lord, we just give ourselves to you and pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, in our hearts and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Enjoy your Sabbath.